Many of you know we've got some of Fisher's Finest as, as part of our group. Angela, Dave's old Fisher's Finest, and fire, uh, police, everything. Yesterday, I got a call uh, on my phone, and then I got a text message. If some of you might know Josh uh, Mailing's part of the Fisher's Fire Department. He's specialty in, in emergency ENT, or EMT, I guess. Um, that's not a text message you want to see when it says, call me ASAP. And this was yesterday. Tooney and I were playing, and the, uh, I got this, and I was like, oh, this, this is not good. So I called Josh. I, Josh, what's up? He goes, there was a fire at Pinheads this morning. I just got back. And I said, whew, good thing. I thought this was going to be bad news. There was a fire here yesterday. The concern was we might not be able to have service today. But I thought, when you see a message like that come up, just everything's running through your head of what this might, might, might be. I thought something happened to Kierce. I thought something happened to Rusty. I thought something happened to Keith. Something. I'm like, this couldn't be good. So I was glad to see the fire. They got it worked out. They weren't sure they are going to be open today, but we are here. And, again, I just pinch hitting for Rusty this week. You know, he finished up uh, Hebrews 4 last week. If you didn't listen to it, I'd suggest go back. I would make the strong case that Hebrews 4 is the greatest chapter in the book, in my opinion. There is a lot there. Rusty talked last week about Sabbath rest. That ties in a lot to today's message. I would tell you that the, the, my message for today, Rusty teaches in an expository way, verse by verse, all through the Bible. When I just parachute in, I'll just do a topic. And today's topic is context to encourage. I just want you to be encouraged by a proper context of Scripture. And if you disagree with my context, that's fine. But I do think context matters. I think it really matters. And I think oftentimes, you'll, if you've ever heard me speak before, I, I, I probably repeat myself. Rusty's referred to himself as a, a one-trick pony. Uh, sometimes I think this is, I'm like a, a one-hit wonder. And I got to thinking some of the, there's one-hit wonder bands out there that have concerts. I always thought, what, they just play their same song over and over. And like, what are the greatest hits of, of uh you know, some of these bands. And I was looking at the list of some of the most popular one-hit wonders of all time. The Macarena is one. Remember that one? The, uh, uh, what was another one? Come on, Eileen. By, what was it, Dexy Midnight Riders, I think, sang that one. Uh, Rapper's Delight. Some of you here might know all the words to that song. The, uh, but you'll see, again, I, well, Rusty's a, one, a uh, one-trick pony. I feel like a, a Kind of a one-hit, one-trick one, one pony, too. And I, I, again, I, just today, I just want to talk about context. And as Rusty's going through the book of Hebrews, I just want to stress this. It's not the book of, of Hoosiers. It's not. There's a specific audience there, and it matters. And kind of the genesis of this idea for, for context to encourage came from a Bible says about two months ago, Mike Lawson was doing a prayer to open up our Bible study. In his prayer, Mike made mention of, God, give us context as we're going through this book. And well, it just hit me in just a, such a, a fundamental way that what really, I've heard Hebrews taught in so many odd ways. And so much of the Bible in so many odd ways. And this is where, again, I don't think this is complex. I really don't. I think there's a simplicity to the gospel that often gets missed. Teaching is not left to the, the intellectuals. It's not. 
Think of John or Peter. You had fishermen that wrote good parts of Scripture. This is for all of us. Christianity is about a relationship. This is not going to be held separate for us to learn from a sage on the stage who's got a master's in divinity only. We can, but it's not to them only. We can learn from each other. I've learned from so many faces in here. I've been encouraged by so many of you. And we hang out. We just naturally talk about these things. So I, I, I just want to start. This is just kind of a disclaimer. I want to start with this, this message that um, there's a lack of encouragement in our lives. There's a lack of encouragement in all of our lives. And what I've heard on the radio, people send me YouTube messages or links to these different, different ministers out there, oftentimes ministers are the greatest source of spiritual discouragement. That's not right. Someone that people look up to spiritually, and they are actually tearing people down. And I don't think they're doing it on purpose. They just don't have a context. Willy-nilly pulling things from all over the place out of context. So it's upon you to know truth. It's upon you to discern the truth from what I would call the pronounced, the theatrical, the, the theatrical, the pseudo-intellectual windbags. And, and, and with all of that, I would say this. Don't believe anything I say. Don't believe anything I say today. Put your nose in the book. Put your nose in your Bible app. And dig this out on your own. Gospel means good news. Too often what I hear, it's not good news. It's condemnation. Right? Duty, obligation. I don't hear a lot of good news being taught out there. And I don't mind. I hope that you find joy in this. But I don't mind if it makes you angry either. But take that anger and use that energy and put your nose in the book. And dig it out on your own. If you want to discuss it, come back. I'm happy to discuss it. But if you want to debate it, I don't want to debate it. Debate is someone's trying to win an argument. If you want to discuss it, I'm willing to change my theology too. I hold that with an open hand. If you want to tell me, look at it from this angle, I'm happy to do that. We can have that discussion. Context matters. Jim, if you could put up that first verse. This is one, I know that we we all know this one well. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And this, this is, Jesus said this, red letters, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Where is it? Where is it? I hope it's here. I hope you've tasted it. I'm not saying we live there. All I've ever wanted, like for my kids, I wanted my kids to taste the abundant life before they were left. I just wanted them to taste it because I knew as they get out into the world, they'll find the world, it's lacking. The world is like cotton candy. It looks great. You put it in your mouth, it's gone. It doesn't, it doesn't sit well in your belly. It doesn't, will not bring you contentment. You'll come back to it. Jesus said, I came to have life and have it abundantly. That's what he wants for you. It's not a walk in the park. Right? We've got health issues. We've got death. We've got these, these things happen. But he wants us to have an abundant life. And I think that abundant life looks a lot like what we see in the fruit of the Spirit. Right? A lot of parents here. It's what you want for your kids, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's what you want. He wants that for us. And how many, 
times in our lives or, or maybe a, a good portion of our Christian walk, we thought, God just tolerates us. You know, Luke's talking about God loves us. He loves us. He doesn't tolerate you. He loves you. He likes you. It's like when my kids come home, I'm so glad to see him. So God's so glad to see you too. If you have a proper context of his character, man, he is for you. He really is for you. And he wants you to live. He doesn't have you on a performance-based acceptance relationship with him. He doesn't. He wants you to live. And I'll go outside scripture on this next, uh, this next slide. Jim, if you could put that one up. So I might remember this movie, the uh, Braveheart. But it's a quote from William Wallace. Every man dies, but not every man really lives. And I'll say this. I really do think Jesus wants you to live. I believe that. And not in a worldly way. Living by his life, through your soul, through your personality, out into this world. That's what he wants. He wants that for you, just as we want that for our kids. There is an abundant life to be had. There is. And be careful of meatballing law and grace. Don't do it. Don't flirt with Moses. Don't do that. Don't bring meatball these things from here and there. We would never, ever quote Leviticus to one another. Because we understand that wasn't for us, right? Gabe Glover called me this morning. Gabe just had eye surgery on uh, Friday. He's, he'll be okay, but he said he's just going through some pain. He said something that, uh, to me this morning that stuck with me. He said, reading Leviticus or reading Psalms we were talking about, he goes, there's an appreciation versus an application. He goes, I appreciate it. I don't know if there's much application. And when Mike was praying that morning about context, I think oftentimes what ministers are trying to find is application. Get the context first. There might be application. There might only be appreciation. And that's fine. But get the context first. Jim, if you could put up that next slide. This is, a, um, this is again, sometimes I think the, this this visual, I like it because it helps, helps us in our mind categorize the books of the Bible. And I really had never seen it pulled together this way. I like the colors. I think it helps. I like the shelves. I like the break between Old, Old Testament and New Testament. But there's a context here that, again, just remember where you are. You're in the New Covenant. You're not in the Old Covenant. And everybody that's in the Old Testament, I want you to know too, not all of them were in the Old Covenant either. A lot of them were, not all of them. But context matters. Who are you reading about? Who's the audience? Who wrote this? Where are we? So you know, when we look at this, I just keep this in mind. And Jim, I might come back to this slide again, but if, if you want to put up that next the next verse, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. In the CSB, in the uh, other, you know, the literal translation, it says it has set me free from the law of sin and death. Here's a question, and this is where I really want everybody to think about this. 
were you ever under the Mosaic law? I hope everybody says no. Were you ever under the law of sin and death? Ever? In your life, were you ever under the Mosaic law? No. My ancestors were Irish. Were the Irish ever under the Mosaic law? No. I would bet most of you here, your ancestors were probably never under the Mosaic law. Be careful of drawing in some of it into our lives today. Does the first part of this verse apply to you? Yes, it does. Praise God we've been grafted into this thing. For the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, for this principle, for this new way of having the spirit of God within us to live through us, that does apply to us. But you were never under the law of sin and death. You never had to offer an animal sacrifice. Temple's never even been, in, been around since while well, you've been alive. Even my grandparents, the temple wasn't even around. Context matters. There's good news in this verse. But take, take some understanding. And I would tell you, not, this is not widely understood. This is not high, heady stuff. This is just context. Right? Jim, can you put up that next verse? Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Was Jesus born under the law? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Are you under law? No. Here's a tough one. Was Moses born under the law? This is tricky. This will make you think. Was more, when, remember Moses was a baby. His mom put him in the, in the water, in the, in the Nile, and then they found him. He was raised in Pharaoh's home. Was Moses, was he born under the law? Think about this one. Robert says no. Correct. He wasn't. When did Moses get the law? The law on Mount Sinai. Did Moses die under the law? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. You see how context starts to matter. Not everybody was under the law. Even in the book, in the Old Testament, not everybody was under the law. Careful of drawing in little parts to put yourself under the law. You're not. So it matters. The uh, next verse up there, please, um, Jim, Isaiah 55, 8. I heard this was a message someone sent me about a month ago, and it frustrated me because context is not understood by the minister that was teaching it. Here's another question. Was Isaiah under the law? Yes. One of the prophet, Old Testament prophets, he was under the law. One thing that they didn't have when they were under the law that you do have is the Holy Spirit within you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. They would go to temple. Isaiah would go to temple. Right? Moses built the tabernacle. The Spirit of God would meet him there. Right? Remember, even Jesus went to the temple. You are the temple. So where is the Holy Spirit now? It's with you. Your spirit and his spirit. It's one. These are, these are meshed together. 
So when we read this verse, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. That was true then. How about now? He dwells in you. He directs your ways. He'll give you the words to say. He'll give you the deeds to do. He'll give you the energy to carry it out and all to his glory. They didn't have this available to them. Someday you will meet the prophet Isaiah. Someday. You're going to meet a lot of old covenant saints. And they're going to want to know what it was like to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because all they had was they would go and make, make their animal sacrifices and they'd offer up their bulls and goats. And, and every year on the Feast of Atonement, they would hope that the high priest would come out alive that all of their sins would be covered for the year past. Are your sins covered for the year past? Or are your sins taken away past, present, and future? They're taken away past, present, and future. You don't have a Feast of Atonement every year. You don't have that. The sacrifice that you're relying on is far better than any bull or goat that was offered. The sacrifice that was offered for you was Jesus. He was the perfect sacrifice. He wasn't sufficient just for sins of the people from the last year. Took care of all of them. And he didn't sweep them under the rug. He took them away. So the idea that our sins have been covered, they haven't been covered. They're taken away. They're gone. Praise God for that. One of the pros of being in Christ in the new covenant is part of being a child of God is you're forgiven. Past tense. It doesn't change. It's a state of being. You are forgiven. Right? You are. This is December 31st, 2004. I was having lunch with Keith Tyner at CR Heroes over on 96th Street. Keith likes terrible places for lunch, and that was one of them. <laughs> the, uh, but Keith told me that day, it was the first time I ever even thought about reading Scripture in context. And I've been studying the Bible for years at this time. And Keith told me on that day is that when the cross comes along, the tenses of the verbs change. And I was like, man, I hope you're right. Keith, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I've got this little concordance at home, this little tiny concordance. I can't even read this script. It's so small right now. I went home, grabbed that concordance, opened it up, and I looked at the word forgive and forgive and forgive. And it changes. Like this book doesn't contradict itself. But our theology is so meatballed, it's a mess. The book is fascinating. And you'll hear many of us oftentimes talk about Bob Warren. Bob Warren's the first person I ever heard that he said studying Scripture for him was a hobby. It was a very inexpensive hobby. He loved it. He said, I might have to replace a Bible every six or seven years. Another $15, another, buy another Bible. It was a hobby. Like it really can be a joy. It can be just a joy of yours to read and talk to others about because there's incredible news in there that I can assure you still to this day you find things that contradict thoughts in your mind like, wow, this is even better than I thought. That's fascinating. So when we look at this verse from Isaiah, just again, they were under law. So the context of reading something written by someone who's under law to others who are under law that don't have the Holy Spirit, it matters. I'll give you an example. If I told you, don't forget next week, 
you have to bring your British tea tax here to Leavener because we have to pay the British the tea tax next week. You don't, everyone would be like, what does the British tea tax have to do with anything? Like, that used to apply to us in America. It doesn't apply to us anymore. Well, when did that change? Well, you'd be like, well, that changed at the Revolutionary War. It changed at the Boston Tea Party. It changed at, like, we all know paying a British tea tax does not apply to us anymore. Why do we cherry pick little parts of the law and bring them into our life? They don't apply. They don't come in. So the idea of uh, an altar cult, this isn't an altar. There's no altar. The perfect sacrifice was offered. There's no altar call. There's a stage call. <laughs> but it's not an altar. There's no tithe. There's no, and, and I hear ministers do that, and it's like, why don't you encourage people to rely on the Holy Spirit for what they're to do with their time? what they're supposed to do with their money. Don't squelch the spirit in people's lives. I have no idea what you're supposed to do with your time or money. I have no idea. But as you're prompted to do it, do that. Listen to the spirit within you. And part of this living thing, I believe, sometimes you'll screw it up. It's okay. You won't break it. You're not going to break this thing. The new covenant is not breakable. You're in it. You came in by faith. He keeps you. This isn't even relying upon you not wavering in your faith. He's got hold of you. It's not a contract. He's got you. And just part of that is forgiveness. Just part of that. Jim, can you put up that next verse? Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Does this apply to you? No. Again, it doesn't. It just doesn't. Don't bring these little parts of the law in. They don't apply. The, uh, Jim, can you put up that, those characters? These are some old covenant. I like this slide because it reminded me of the Captain Caveman cartoons when we were kids. Just not a good drawing. The guy doesn't have much range. right? You can see like everybody looks pretty close to one another. But these are Bible characters that we've all heard these names before. Was Abraham under law? He wasn't. Was Isaac under law? Nope. Was Jacob under law? Mm-mm. How's it? Joseph in his amazing technicolor dream coat? Nope. He was not. And again, neither was Moses as a baby. How was Abraham saved? His faith. How were you saved? By faith. How was Moses saved? Faith. How about Isaiah? Faith. David? Faith, Solomon, faith. That's the same theme through the whole book. It's always been about faith. The whole book, it's always been about faith. But we like to bring in behaviorism because we like to make comparisons. And we're doing this better than somebody else and somebody else is doing it wrong. No, it's about faith. He'll meet 
you where you are. And hopefully you'll grow and mature. And, but that's up to you. But Christianity, you come into this thing by faith. It's not faith plus works or faith plus behaviorism. Behaviorism is just going to be a part of a, an output of just being a new creation in Christ. That's just going to happen. Bad theology has consequences. Bad theology has consequences. There's fallout from that. We have a wrong impression of God. I was just talking to Randy Tyner before service this morning. And, you know, Randy grew up in the church, good Christian family. But oftentimes we view God with this, this wrong impression as if he's not for us. He is for you. And he really does want you to live. And he does want you to have an abundant life. You're one of his kids. He wants what's best for you. Don Pruitt said this to me this week. She said, nothing beats scripture. And I thought, what a succinct, beautiful way to put it. Nothing beats it. She said sometimes she works at, she's at work, she's got her earbuds in, listening to scripture, just rolling through her, through her ears, thinking about it, dwelling on it. And oftentimes scripture is the only thing in life that makes, makes sense. This world is bananas right now. In my opinion, I think the world is bananas. Totally bananas. Oh, where are we going to find peace and joy? It's probably not going to be on my Twitter feed, I'll tell you that. But in Christ, I believe, do, I will, I have, I do, I find peace and comfort and joy. Right? And a peace that passes all understanding. You know, Rusty oftentimes gets accused of harboring sinners here or teaching a message of cheap grace. And hear me out on this. Grace is not cheap. It's free to you, but it's not cheap. The highest price ever paid has been paid for the grace that you received. You entered by faith. The highest price has ever been paid. This is not cheap. What is the cost to you? Faith. And there's a, a couple verses, I think, that would help all of us through the day. They would help us sleep at night. I can't be the only one who wakes up at 3 in the morning. <laughs> I know I look over at Kirsten. Oftentimes I see the blue light on on her phone. She's not sleeping. She's, you know. Romans 5.1 says this. You have peace with God. 5.1. I'm sorry. Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that's something good to know. That's something that Isaiah didn't have, right? They didn't have that. And don't underestimate this verse. There's a lot right there. 
but he's the giver of good gifts. Ask him for the eternal things. Those things last forever. He's the giver of good gifts. Don't ask him for a Mercedes. <laughs> ask him for eternal things. You'll have them forever. The physical will fade, right? Don't, Solomon had all the riches. Solomon had all of the, the wives, if that's a, I don't know if that's even, a, that's definitely that's not a good thing. But everything that Solomon had, Solomon wants what you have access to. Solomon would love to be in your situation right now. Solomon would trade seats with you in a minute. So this isn't a health and wealth message of like, wow, you, your life could look a lot like Solomon. No, not that at all. That was a picture of the physical. You're a picture of the spiritual. The spiritual riches that we have far surpass anything that Solomon or anybody in the Old Covenant ever had. You are spiritually wealthy beyond imagination. Know that God loves you. Know that he likes you. Walk by his spirit and enjoy Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these souls, for everybody that's here. When Lord, we thank you for Rusty. We hope that he's safe uh, wherever he might be up north. And um, Lord, I just pray that we all come to a further understanding of your character and also what it means to live by your life. And Lord, I just pray you are glorified through all of us. And this life is all to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.